What's going on, guys? This is Kevin McCove. You are tuned into the McCove Mindset Podcast. And today we are sitting down with DJ Andrew Willoughby. Incredible, incredible DJ. Always been a supporter of me, my music, and my career. We're going to sit down and figure out how he started his career, how he got into talent buying, talent scouting, and maybe there's a DJ opportunity that he can book for you. So let's get to it. All right, cool. Let's get into it so welcome to the mccove mindset thank you for coming on for one i really appreciate oh, that thanks for having me here um so why don't we jump in why don't you let people know who you are so uh i'm andrew dj willoughby um yeah. i've kind of been in the scene here for probably six or seven years now um and i kind of do a variety of things between djing sound and production for bands including lighting uh booking and management at different venues and i have uh my own company, First State Entertainment, that employs at uh, this time myself plus four other DJs, and we're constantly kind of looking to add and expand and go up and up from there. Word. So when did you start DJing? Like, how'd you get into it? So it was back in 2012, 2013, something like that. Um, I've been doing music pretty much my whole life. I uh, played guitar and bass from being like 14 or so, and played in bands when when I was, you know, 16, 17, 18. Um, and then I ended up doing a little bit of recording and producing, made a home studio and started recording some different artists. And that kind of phased out. And I, I'm always looking for the next thing to get into. I, I love music as a whole, and I always like taking new steps and learning new things about it. And uh, I actually went to Firefly, and so I'd never see it. That was back when EDM was in its heyday, and... Those, those DJs dominated the festival stages and they were even dominating like the bars and clubs in a college town. And I saw Calvin Harris play and uh, I know he's more production than DJ, but it just kind of kind of wowed me. And uh, I was like, man, this is what I need to get into. And at the time I was broke, I didn't have any money. Like I, I said, I, I, said <laughs> I said, mom, I said, I need to buy this little dinky DJ controller for 400 bucks. I was like, I promise you, I'll make it back. I'll pay you back. Like, let, let me, let me hold it. And she was like, you better pay me back, da 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 gave me the money. And uh, I took that, and just every day after work, I messed around on it for one or two hours every single day. And then uh, pushed and pushed and pushed until I started getting getting into it and getting gigs. And Word. So where'd you first start playing then? So what were, like, your the, <laughs> the first gigs, the so, first ones? Um, I was a bit of a bar fly, so I was always uh, out at the bars and everything. Newark was uh, kind of my real area. And uh, I, I was at Klondike Kate's three nights a week. And uh, there was a manager, Bob, there at the time, who he did all the bookings and everything like that. This was before it was bought by the Marticelli Group and everything like that, way back when. And I kept bothering him. I was like, Bob, I can do this, man. Put me on, put me on. I can do this. I was in his ear every night. And I think he just got tired of hearing me. And he was like, well, look, man, you know, we're trying to do a country night on Wednesday nights. If you want it, it's yours. Real introductory pay rate and everything like that. But I was like, all right, give me two weeks. I knew nothing about country music. Actually, really didn't even like country music at all. I said, give me two weeks. I downloaded thousands and thousands of country songs, learned as much about it as I could, and went on and started there. And uh, that was in uh, October and November of that year. And then I actually ended up doing their New Year's Eve regular style that year. And... Uh, it only lasted there probably about six months or so, and I try to tell this to everybody. I made the mistake of going out, and I hadn't been doing it that long. I'd been doing like six months before then. Mm -hmm. And I said, man, I really want to play out, I really want to play out, I really want to play out. But in no way was I ready to play out. Gotcha. I didn't have the skills, I didn't have the knowledge of reading the room, I didn't have what I needed to back up the talk that I was talking at the time. And that burned that ridge, bridge and ruined that relationship with the venue. Because I wasn't able to to fully deliver on the promises that I outlined for him right. for what I could do. And I tell this to anybody that's getting into the industry is to do not play out until you're ready. I know it sucks. I know you want to get out of the bedroom. I know you want to go out and do all these big things. But you will have way better relationships and a way better reputation. And people will respect you so much more if you're ready when you go out there. Right. Take the little extra time. Take the extra six months or so really fine-tune a little bit more before you go out and that's that was my learning lesson from that experience so like what what type of being someone who's not a dj mm -hmm. and is just like 
the lay person that's like, oh, well, I like that DJ or I didn't like that DJ. Like, what what makes me as a consumer, as an audience or someone who's out of the club, like, what makes me decide that? Like, how does a DJ get better? I firmly believe that with DJs, your success is split into two categories. 50% of it, 100% is your song selection. If you're picking songs that are not good or songs that are too dated, songs that are not quite discovered yet, or whatever's not connecting with your audience, you could be the most skilled DJ technically-wise, skill-wise in the world, but if you're playing music that doesn't connect with your crowd, they'll always think you're a bad DJ. And the other 50%, in my opinion, is your skills. How well can you mix? Your scratching, if that's something that you do. Your blending, how you build a set, key matching, all the individual integral parts of it, in my opinion, is only 50% of it. And then the other 50% is song selection. So Absolutely. song selection is huge. Absolutely. I, I think if... If you're not playing the right music, it doesn't matter how good you are. You could be the best DJ in the world, and if you're not playing the the, the right music for the environment you're in, it's not going to work. So do you ever, like, like scout venues ahead of time? Like, do you go in and kind of see, like, oh, this is the kind of crowd that's here, or... So I used to when I first started. At this point, I'm way too busy to do that because I never have... A weekend night off anymore. I'm right. always working, whether it's a private event, a bar, a club, whatever. And you probably have the um, experience where you're like, I have enough. I have enough, but what right. I will do is I have a great network of colleagues and other DJs that we really have a great relationship with. So I'll figure out who did the room before. And more times than not, I usually know them, and I'll call them up and be like, hey, man, like, give me a five-minute rundown of what, what this room is about, what type of crowd is in there, this and that, and... Usually, I'll be able to get a better gauge for it. But in, in most situations, a lot of people ask the question, oh, what's in your set tonight? What's in your set tonight? I don't know. I never know. It's if you walk into a room with a preset, this is what I'm going to play, and this is the order I'm going to play it in, you're going to fail every time because you have to read that crowd. You know, you might go to a bar. I might play a bar every single Friday night, and then you and your friends go in there, on one particular Friday and you've never been there before. Your taste could be completely different from what I'm used to doing in that room. Mm -hmm. So you have to appeal to who's there and what they want to hear and really read that vibe and read that crowd in the room. Right. So then what? Where did, where did the transitions go after you figured out, like, okay, I, I started, I jumped in the fire, maybe it was a little too hot, I got to organize. So did you like completely remove yourself from the DJ scene to work on your chops? Or did you find like a, like a smaller venue to be like, oh, this is the place where I can get paid while I still figure it out? So at that time, it was a lot harder to get. It was, it was ah, that might not be the right phrasing. In my opinion, then it was very hard to get into the rooms. Maybe my opinion just changed from being in it so long. Maybe for that beginner, it's still that same opinion. But I pulled out for, I don't know, about six months or so. I did one gig, and then I was still out for, like, another three. Um, and then I started to focus on building my network instead. So in, the, in this industry, at least in Delaware, kind of even more in the Philly tri-state market, too, you'll get more gigs from other DJs than you will from anything else. Hmm. And it, in my opinion, it's all about building that network because we have such a great group where nobody dislikes each other. We all work together. We all realize that there's enough pie for all of us to have a slice. Hmm. And we all try to build each other up in that aspect. Um, and there's a lot of people that helped me on the way to get where I am that if it wasn't for these specific people, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now. Um, <laughs> There's one person in particular that I owe quite a bit to. Who's that? Who's that person? Like, uh, who's... So that would be DJ Andrew Hume. He's okay, a word, yeah. staple in this market. Mm -hmm. DJs at Sixers games, DJs at Blue Coats games, runs Dewey Beach, you know, plays anywhere in, in the state, even up to Philly and everything like that. And he's just genuinely a fantastic dude. So in that time that I was taken off, everyone was kind of going out and seeing different things. And I was like, all right, this is my time to do my research. Let's go meet these people. Let's see what they're playing and how they're building their sets and 
what they're doing that I can then take back and try to learn and right. and do whatever. So uh, Andrew, he was playing a Thursday at Deer Park when it was still upstairs, but it was it was a really slow night. And my buddy kept telling me, man, there's this dude, Andrew Hugh. You got to go check him out. You got to go check him out. So I was like, all right. So I go up there. I was much younger at this point, and uh, me and my roommate uh, pre-gamed a decent amount before we walked up there because we lived right down the street. And uh, so I, I get to the bar, and I've, I've definitely had a, a few drinks beforehand. All right. And so I go up, and I'm like, all right, I got to meet this dude. It's slow, like whatever. So I go, and I, was, I start to say what's up. I set my drink on the table, which... On the is, DJ table? Which is a big no-no. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm drinking a whiskey sour. I set it there, and I'm talking to him. I just knock it over all oh, over the entire table. No. And I'm, like, mortified at this point. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe I just did that. Uh, like, I'm so, so sorry. I'm so, so sorry. He goes, wait, wait, wait. It's fine. And I'm thinking, like, crap. Like, this is it. Like, this dude's never going to, like, like respect me in this industry right. or never like you know be a friend to me or anything like that if it happened to me i would not be happy first off. Right. <laughs> and he goes to the bar he grabs a towel he wipes it up himself and says what are you drinking i said i'm drinking a whiskey sour he goes back to the bar buys me a whiskey sour gives it to me and it goes back to djing wow and then we ended up talking at the end of the night and uh there's kind of history from there. We, uh, him, he's one of my best friends in the industry. Um, we partner with each other on a lot of stuff. And for a lot of my big acquisitions venue-wise, it was him that kind of got my foot in the door with Deer Park. I've been there four and a half years. Uh, I've played just under 350 shows there. That's a lot um, of shows, yeah. It is. I, th I had my 300th in August, so we're, we're, we're getting, getting, we're getting there. Yeah. Um, all he would do is make the introduction and be like, oh, they need this night covered. Oh, Willoughby can probably do it. And then it was up to me to do my thing on the night, to build the relationship with the venue, and to take something out of it. Right. He got me into Deer Park. I submitted Deer Park. He introduced me to the people in Dewey Beach. I got into Dewey Beach for a few summers. Um, he introduced me to the people at Firestone, and that turned into one of my biggest contracts. Right. And it was all, oh, yeah, meet this guy. He could probably do it for you. And then I was able to negotiate and talk. So That's it wasn't love. that anything was handed. It was, here's an introduction. Yeah, do yeah. what you will yeah, with Yeah, but, it. I mean, I go but, so far. It's so nice to have somebody who can help, like, who, who believes in your skill and ability enough to put, because it's sort of their reputation. It's like a cosign. You know, it's. That's a, that's a testament to the work that you put in, too. You know, because... Yeah, sometimes you just have people come up to you and they're like, hey, can you make this introduction? I get that a lot, you know? Like, and, and sometimes you, you have to let someone know when they're not ready. Absolutely. You know, like, hey, um, how about we do kind of these things or whatever like that, and then let's, let's talk about it. Because you are, you just can't go and say, let me introduce you to this person or let me, because your name is, is tied to it. Mm -hmm. So the fact that he wanted to tie his name to you, that's, that's yeah, dope. I, I that's mean, love. I never asked him for any of it. He did it out of, you know, wanting to do it, wanting to give back. And yeah. uh, I wouldn't be where I was today if it specifically wasn't for him. And now that I'm in a good position in the industry, my biggest thing is I want to give back to everybody that's less skilled or... Right just coming into the industry or that needs that little extra push that I did. And I want to give back even more than what was given to me because I think that's the whole mentality you should have behind this right, industry. Right, that reciprocity. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of the point of even this podcast even. You know, Absolutely. it's like, um, there's just so much so much in great information from so many people out here. You know, I'm, I'm proud to be your friend and, and to know you and know people that just have, that have really done the work you know, like the work within the community, they've struggled, they've hustled, they figured it out. And it's like all of that, when you can get that knowledge out to people, it's like you cut so much of the learning curve away from individuals who want to get started. Some people are just like, yeah, I want to start, but I don't even know how to start or how did that happen? Or they, or they only see the end product. Somebody might come to your page and they're like, oh man, he DJs here, he DJs at Deer Park, he DJs at Docklands, he DJs down at the beach. And... <laughs> I'm never going to be that, you know, because they don't see the the work that was put in. So it's, it's great in a moment like this where you can be like, hey, 
value the community value the dj community if you're going to be a dj go out and support other djs and and learn from them because they know things like that's a beautiful thing it's it's funny even with us I booked you at a venue. You booked me at the same venue. Yeah. And it's gone it's back gotta and forth watch, with that. Yeah, we, that's, <laughs> that's how you got to do it. I mean, it's, it, it seems like it's like it's only right. You know, like it seems like it's a no-brainer. <laughs> but some people some people don't operate like that. You know, like, and, and it's unfortunate, but I hope that more people adopt the mentality that, like, everybody can eat. Absolutely. There's, there's you know. enough work to go around. And, yeah... Some people are going to have less shows than others, but that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be a part of the same industry and still be a valued person in it. Because for that person that's working 40 hours a week and does four DJ shows a month, that means the world to them. That's extra money for whatever they want to spend it on. And, I mean, honestly, we all do it for the money, but there's a lot more behind it than money, in, in my opinion, as... If there's times where I'll I'll take a couple of days off and I won't work for a weekend or something like that, I'm itching by Thursday night to get back behind the tables and and right. to go back on and it's it's something that I can never really think about not being a part of my life from this part on. Got you. So when when you got into this, did you did did you approach it like I want to be a DJ? This is something I want to do, or kind of like. Did you work an, another job, like a, a day job, and then DJing just gradually started to pull you in as you did it more and more? So I was a manager at Best Buy for 10 years um, from when I was, well, I started there when I was 17, and then I left there when I was 26, so like nine years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I worked my way up through there, I worked my way uh, up to manager there and everything. And uh, it was great. Loved the company. Great job. But it ended up being too much as things got more and more aggressive. I think what did it to me was I was doing Deer Park Thursday and Fridays, and then I was doing Dewey Beach every Saturday. And then I would drive back and have to be at the store to unlock the store at 6 a.m. Yeah, that's rough. And I was just not putting forth the effort at my job that I once was. Mm-hmm. The DJ thing was picking up. It was after that summer, I stepped down from being a manager because I was like, look, like I'm messing up with this. I still want to be here. I still need to be here, but I need to give this other thing the time that it needs. Mm-hmm. And they were very understanding, and they worked with me on a great schedule and everything. And then when I got into Firestone and became the entertainment manager there, that's when I made the switch, and I said, hey, like I have to go my separate ways. Like This is... This is what I need to do. This is what I need to put all my time in to. And I left Best Buy, and I've been full-time for about two and a half years now. That's awesome. That is awesome. So what do you think was, for anybody who is a DJ and who's listening, what advice do you have in getting yourself to full-time DJ status? Work, 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 work. (laughs) Right. Um, I would say go to somebody that's more knowledgeable than you. Go to somebody that's been in this industry longer, that is working full time, and just hang out with them. Ask them questions, you know. Go out to the bar with them and have a couple drinks. Like, all all of us that have been doing this as a full-time thing for a little while, we all love to give our knowledge away. We all love to talk to people and help them we've got such a great network of guys and you look at the nightclub scene there's not too many full-time of us a lot of the full-time djs do more weddings and privates and things like that but for the nightclub scene there's in northern delaware there's a handful of us and we all love to hang out we all love to to you know shoot the stuff and and just kind of talk about the industry and what's going on i i've been actually looking to add a member to my company for a while now yeah, hear that? And I don't, I don't even mind training. Come shadow me. Like, I'll work with you at the house or whatever. It doesn't matter. But I can't find anyone. Really? All right. So if you're <laughs> listening, if you are listening to this podcast right now, make sure his information will definitely be posted below in the in the notes, the details First on the podcast. Check us out. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. That's 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 a come up right there. If you're interested in DJing, you have somebody who is a, a proven vet in the industry who is full time, and who just said that like, hey, he don't even mind training like that. So this is where you can really get in and. If this is something you want to do, like, go do it. Uh, 
thank you for that. That's that's dope. Oh, absolutely. You know? There's 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 another great guy that you just had on here, Dave. Dave uh, really runs the UD scene with all the students, and he brings mm-hmm. the students from the like parties at the houses to Klondike Kate's to play in front of everyone on Main Street. He does it every year since I've been 21, and I think it's a great thing that he does as well, which is right. is kind of inspired me to to do that in in uh in my in my own way. Because he's found some great talent in a college crowd where they've never been in front of a bar crowd. They've never been in front of anything. And he's barred out, and mad props to him for doing it year in, year out. Right. He's got, like, a little filter. He's, he's, he's got a funnel. I don't even know how system. he does it. Yeah, he's got, he's got a system that funnels. <laughs> well, there, there's a program through at UD that started, I guess it was probably in about 2013, that was a DJ. Now they have, like, clubs in at the university. Like, it was, like, a DJ club. Um, is actually, and, and I know about this, that it started there because I used to, I used to play homecomings. Like, so they would hire me to sing at, at homecomings and at the pep rally. And one year there was a new alumni relations director. So I'm reaching out to the alumni relations director, like, Hey, y'all got that. You know, like <laughs> I'm trying to be at homecoming, trying to perform at homecoming. And she was like, Oh my God. Like, yes, but. I'm overwhelmed. Like, I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. I just got, she had just gotten the position. Um, and so I was able to be like, I was like, hey, I, I'll help you. Of course. Like, I, I have done this for the last, like, two years, and I've worked with the person doing it. So I sort of understand. So I was able to get in, and that's when I found out about the DJ. It's like, oh, there's a DJ club. So I got to reach out to the DJ club, and I think, like, one of the founders was like, uh, I don't even know if he's still in the area, but DJ Slipcase. Ah, yeah, yeah. He's actually living up in Philly right now. So he was like one of the original kids that was in his group. Um, He used to always do the, uh, he ran the base campus event on, uh, was it North Campus that they did every spring. See? And it came out of this little organization. So I'm sure that Dave is probably tied into the groups where he can can funnel it in. But that's still a, that's a great, anytime you can build a system. That's going to continually, you like, oh, okay, look, you're just feeding me DJs. And then you have a way to kind of set them up where they can get real performance opportunity. That's a beautiful thing. And get paid in college. Right, right. I mean, that's almost better than what, that's better than any class that they got. If you want to, you can't even take a DJ class if you go to school at UD. Meanwhile, you have somebody who's in the community being a servant of the community saying like, hey, look, I got a way to funnel you in. To yeah, a career. It's, it's it's fantastic. He's he's been an inspiration to me, just like Andrew Hugh has. Him and I haven't quite worked as closely or anything, but he was one of the first DJs I saw when I turned twenty one at Kate's, and and he's he's always done a, a great job with you know bringing up that next level of DJs in the community, and and he does it with an expiration date. Like some of them are only with him for two years because they get in on their junior year. When they finish their senior year, they go back to wherever their hometown was and. Never come back. Right. But he does it to help them to help. out. And yeah. It's, I think it's fantastic. I see some similarities in that, too. Like, cause so we spoke, when I when I spoke to um, Amaze, we were talking about kind of LLCs and series LLCs and how he set up Icon DJs and stuff. And I want to kind of get into that a little bit with you, because I just have questions like to ask. Yeah, absolutely. Because I know when, so when we first met, you were doing the DJ thing and, and the uh, talent buying and whatnot. And then just due to how life was situated, it puts you in a position where like you thought outside of the box and you were like, I'm going to start a DJ company. How, what was that whole process like? Well, like, I'd, I'd always wanted to do it ever since probably be doing this for a year or two. I always wanted to do it, but I was kind of waiting for the right moment. And... When the changeover happened from Firestone to Docklands, you're very well aware of the situation. Some things got shaken up there, and some positions weren't in the same aspect as they, they once mm-hmm. were. Right. And so I got from having an entire summer planned to off the bat being like, oh, crap, what am I going to do? Right. So I started to panic being full-time and having all this open spots and all these open dates on my calendar. I was like, all right, if I'm going to promote myself the right way and fill this, I have to do this. I have to start this company. Um, And I started reaching out to some of my buddies in the industry, and I'm like, hey, what do you think about going in on this? And there's other companies in the area 
that are very strict with their exclusivity. Okay. Uh, just like so, with, can you uh, explain it just for somebody who's listening who doesn't necessarily know? So, uh, there's some companies in the area where they don't like you working other places. They don't like you working for other people and this and that. And uh, it's it, it really puts uh, kind of a damper and a, a, a leash on you as a performer because you've got these dates, but if that company can't fill it and you can't go work for somebody else, how are you going to eat? Right. So my mentality behind it was everyone eat and let me feed you too. Gotcha. So the only thing that's situated and set with that is if you play a venue and were booked by me in that venue, you now have to go through the company to return to that venue for a set amount of time. Gotcha. And that just makes it so that so someone's someone going to jump ship yeah. and then be like, hey, I know what you're paying him. I'll do it for 50 bucks less and then take the contract. It's just kind of... Right covering yourself you know mm-hmm. and and everything but i want them to fill their schedules as much as possible and one of the best things that i've done to really organize all that is google calendar is a fantastic app by the way <laughs> and <laughs> right so i have it and i have my calendar on there it's layered with like 10 different calendars right everybody else's so yeah. then i have Cartier's calendar i have business calendar i have knickknacks calendar and I can and I can click all those on. See what dates they have. So if I get an inquiry and I can see that myself and all four of my guys are booked, sorry, we can't do it. And I, I don't have to start making phone calls and being yeah. like, hey, what are you doing? Are you available this date? Are you available that date? It's all right there on the calendar. Then I have my venues that I book on there. I have my Docklands calendar. And then I have my company calendar, which is anything that's booked for the guys through the company itself. Gotcha. So I can overlay everything. And then I essentially have two or three different calendars that should line up so that if there's ever a reason why they don't line up, that's a problem. That's i got to make problem. some phone yeah, calls right. and handle this before it's the day of or the day before and kind of get it figured out. And it's really helped me kind of organize everything. And um, there's another app uh, a buddy of mine uses. It's called When I Work. When I Work. And um, he has a company in Pennsylvania, and he assigns – it's almost like um, – for those in the serving and, and waitressing industry, it's almost like a hot like schedule. Hot schedules? Yep. Cool. And you can assign everything, make the schedule. They have to accept it and confirm it. You can email updates. You can post shifts and trade shifts. That's cool. It works very well for him. My model, I like kind of using the other way. But there's, and what was the app called again? Uh, when I Work? Yeah, When, when I, I work. work. Okay. And uh, there's a lot of great things to organize yourself, and that's kind of a big part nowadays in my opinion in building a great company is how are you organizing yourself how are you keeping yourself straight how many emails do you have what do you use for what um what apps are you using to organize yourself how are you communicating with your guys and and everything like that and uh i think that's a huge part of kind of keeping everything straight and and providing not only a great customer experience, but a good experience for your your, your guys you're booking and, and that are out there working for you. Right. So how long did it take you to put everything together from, like, start to finish or to get it started? Because I guess it's not finished, but, like, to get everything started, like, to get your website up and to get, like, how long did all of that take? Two weeks. Nice. So, like, <laughs> that's how that's how quick it is, right? So you can get it no, moving I like, quick? No, I mean, it dominated my life for two weeks. Like, that's all I pretty much did for two weeks. I, I worked... And I did this, and I worked, and I did this. Uh, But I was so motivated with the current situation that was happening that I was like, all right, there's there's no time to dilly-dally. This needs to happen now. Right. This is important. It takes precedence. All right. Just like anything else. I mean, if you really want to get to get it, get my you website get up because then, you know, reach out to new venues. I could be like, hey, check out my website and our lineup mm-hmm. of DJs and this and that. And it's – if a venue gets a call from a company and they say, we represent – these four people, these five bands, whatever, whatever, you're going to give them the time of day so many more times than if it's like, hey, man, I'm DJ Willoughby. Like, I'm trying to play your venue. Like, da-da-da-da-da. Right. When I was um, uh, the entertainment manager at Firestone, I'd get 10 emails a day. Hey, we'd love to play here. We'd love to play here. And obviously, with an established venue, you know what you want already for Mm -hmm. the most part. Um, But you always like to bring in a couple new people. And it was always the management companies that got me because it's the track record. It's 
they're in a position where they're doing a lot of business and you know they're delivering a solid customer experience time over time again. Right. Whereas bringing a single person in without having seen them before, you don't know what kind of experience they're going to supply to your venue. And I think you flip that. Having the company has opened up more doors and opened up a lot of different opportunities that wouldn't necessarily have been there beforehand. Like we'll do... Um, like Docklands now, we have every Friday and Saturday, and I make the schedule every every month about four weeks out. Um, Deer Park, we have Thursdays, and we have Fridays about five months out of the year. Uh, we, we split them with my buddy Andrew Hugh. He does, like, fall, winter. We do, like, spring, summer-ish. Gotcha. Because um, that's when he goes down to the beach. Um, over the winter time, we had every Saturday at Starboard for two months. That's cool. Um, and it's just having that opportunity to say, look, give me the night. I'm going to make you a schedule. I'll submit it to you for approval. You approve it, set in stone. That's who's going to be there. And that's that's going to be that. And we're able to handle taking venues rather than finding gigs. Right. So it makes it at Docklands, that fills two dates a month on everyone's schedule. Right. And then you add the Deer Park stuff in, that's another date or another two. Another date, right. When we had the Starboard stuff, that's another date or two. So at that point, just from three venues, every single person that's a part of the company now has half their schedule filled. Right, and that's dope. So do you have, do you have like links to them on your page? Is that... Links to... To the DJs who are... Yep. Under so everyone site. has an artist profile on our website. Mm-hmm. And you can go through, and it has a couple pictures... It has a short bio, a little bit about them and their story. And then the most important thing, which I don't see many people doing, but it, I, I saw it on um, one of the band management websites, and I loved it, so I, I, I took the idea for mine, is having a venues played portion. Hmm. So any public nightlife venue that these DJs have played are listed on their profile on the page. Sort of like a little resume. I think of it as a resume. I also think about it as, all right, Kevin, what bars do you like to frequent? If you like to frequent, you know, Catherine Rooney's, Docklands, and Deer Park, you can see, oh, man, this dude has played all of them. Maybe he's like my style and and the, right. the type of vibe that I want for this event or what, whatever it is. And because they're all reputable places that most people have, have been to before, and you know the experience that that bar delivers. Hmm. So if you can take that experience and associate it with the performer themselves, you're kind of, in my opinion, going to have a better understanding of them without even knowing them. Right. So do you think that even DJs who maybe may not be under a company, um, that they should do that? Like, hey, you need to have, like, your designated page? Right. Um, When uh, I made an EPK right before I started the company, and... And it was it was cool. There's like a picture on it, a bio, and then at the bottom there wasn't too much room, so I picked like the top like ten places or or whatever that I had played, and then it was just a JPEG file that I could just email out. I had it uh, a link to it on my social media pages, and uh, it 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 worked it worked decent for being what it was. Right. Like, do you think that Instagram has kind of become the new EPK? Yes. Yep. I am very, very picky about what goes on my Instagram. Right, because it's like a branding mm-hmm. media um, tool. About four years ago, I changed my maybe five years ago, I changed my Instagram to DJ Willoughby from what it was, and I deleted anything that wasn't work related off of it. Mm. And so I was able to keep my followers that I built on there, my my friends from a while ago that want to keep up with me, and then take it and take that and build the brand from there. Uh, every show is posted on there. If it's a spectacular night, there's probably a picture afterwards of kind of what was happening at the night. If it was a private event, maybe the picture of the setup that was used there or the uh, special lighting for the room or or video here or there. But it's all about showing people your triumphs. If If you don't know me from Adam and you're trying to check into me to work here or there or do a wedding or wherever... You can see the highlight reel on there. Mm-hmm. It's just like as a as an athlete, you send them your highlight reel, right? It's, and they even have it on Instagram. It's highlights. Yep. They, there's a whole like thing where you oh yeah these highlights. Let me let me press that. I'm I was curious about that because I I didn't want anyone to be listening and be like ah oh, like an EPK 
do I have to decide? Look, you don't have to spend money you don't have. You Absolutely. know, like if if you want to get on, but you do have to be mindful. Like you went back to be like, let me make sure that my Instagram page is work with what you have. Work right. with what you have. Don't spend unnecessary money, but don't do a bad job with it either. Hmm. There's a um, uh, I see, I see so many people that have horrible promotion pictures, and there is an app that I use called Photo Fox. Photo Fox. It's like. It's like seven bucks a month or something like that, or seventy bucks to just outright buy it. But it's great because you can layer just like you can in Photoshop. You can layer different images. You can filter the images and get rid of the backgrounds to put like logos on your pictures and whatnot. Um, you can throw any type of text with like forty different fonts on there, and it makes it look like a more professional image than rather just something you put together in Pick Stitch or whatever like right. like free app you're using and. Like I said, don't spend money you don't have, but seven bucks a month will do a world a for you for right. promotion and and just kind of getting those better quality images. Because if you make crappy promotional pictures, it's gonna people are gonna think that your performance that's is gonna reflect it. Yeah, right. Yeah, they're gonna think that's the quality. So what what things do would you say a DJ needs to get started? Like, like, what's what is a very gear basic wise? way to get started? Yep, gear. Um, you need your controller. I firmly believe that Pioneer is the only way to go. Okay. Uh, I mean, that's not a fact; just a personal preference. Um, I started on Tractor, and then went to Pioneer and Serato, and it's been the best change I've ever made. And I don't think I'll buy anything else that's not Pioneer. Okay. Um, but there's plenty of other great things out there, but that's just my personal preference on it. Um, I get that. Make sure you have a laptop. When I started, I did not have a laptop, and I was bringing... You are bringing, like, a desktop computer I, out? I was bringing a 21-inch iMac that I would carry <laughs> in the box with a bubble wrap, like, like thing over it, pull it out and put it on the table. My DJ controller didn't have XLRs, so I was running RCA to a mixer and then out to speakers. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, but work with what you got, right? <laughs> yeah, work with what hey, you got. I, I mean, I, as soon as I got my first real residency, within a month, I changed everything out. And I was like, all right, like, this is coming in now. Let me upgrade the gear and whatnot. But laptop, controller, um, some cables that you're going to need, and a pair of speakers. Right. Sub can come later. Sub, the sub can come later, but it definitely should be the next thing. But just to get started, a pair of, pair of speakers, laptop, and controller. Um, and then, obviously, a good music library. Right. So how does that work now with a music library? Is it like, can you just use all of the music that is just out there? Because you, do you use like Spotify or Apple Music or is there a no. DJ So thing? for Serato, you have to have the physical tracks. Okay. So you have to have it. You can't stream it or anything like that. Actually, the new update, they just added streaming support for Tidal and SoundCloud. But I haven't quite used it, and I don't know necessarily what the reliability is because it came out like two weeks ago. Okay. But um, that might be where it's going in the future. Maybe they add more and more stuff. But for now, you need to have all your own tracks. So what they have, are, there's a lot of different websites called Record Pools. And you pay a certain subscription fee every month to it. And you can either have, depending on the site, you either have a fixed number of downloads that you can download or an unlimited number of downloads. And you just download whatever you want that's on there. And right. um other DJs run these pages, so there's great remixes of a lot of the popular tracks that are out. Like, you look at Old Town Road, that was the hit of the summer or whatever. On my record pool, there's probably 30 different remixes of it on there. Oh, word. And you can just go through and listen to all of them and be like, wow, like, I like how this one sounds, and I think it's going to create the right vibe, and that builds your library that way. But you also have all the originals on there as well. And so when you create your own mix, you can upload too? You can do that too? You can be like, oh, okay, I made my own mix of this, and you can put it up there for other DJs to use? Is that a thing? Um, not quite. They have editors that put their own stuff up there or that find stuff almost kind of like a talent buyer without the buying part. Right. Um, so you'd have to send it to somebody and get like their approval on it or whatnot, but it could potentially go up there, yeah. Word. And then I also, as an artist, because I asked Amazing, someone asked you too, but so, how, do you ever get artists that come up to you that are kind of like, yo, can you spin my track? Yes. Yeah, absolutely, all the time. So what is the, what is your preferred way to go about that? A, do you do it? B, if you do do it, then what is the way that people um, should go about hitting up DJs about getting spins? 
They come up to me every time I get my business card. I'm like, hey, yeah, I'd love to take a listen to it. Please email it to me. And my email's on the on the card and everything. They're like, all right, cool, thanks. And I'll listen to it. And if if I think it's all right, I'd maybe throw it in. But a lot of the times, at least for what I get coming up to me, it's recorded in a shoddy studio that's not, you know, professional quality. The content might not necessarily the, be the best thing for the rooms that I'm doing. And it's it's just figuring out, just like what we said earlier about song selection, is my crowd going to like this? Right. I love to support other artists and other DJs. I've played a couple of your tracks before. Appreciate um, it. I've played a couple of uh, my man Waldo Black's tracks out. Mm-hmm. Um, but Shout out th- to Waldo. But that's about it. Uh, as far as like the the hip hop and stuff like that is usually what you end up getting requests for. Mm-hmm. I've done actually. Let me uh, add another one. I do some of Dave's stuff. Okay. Because he he has a uh, uh, like four or five tracks out now that he's been recording, and they're all they're all great. Um, but other than the, like those three, nothing else has kind of struck my fancy or or uh, nothing that I thought would work for the crowds that I was playing for. Word. Cool. Yeah, always, always down to figure out the hustle because I, I feel like, I feel like the DJ has sort of, like back when I first started making music, like 2010, right? Is so it like almost a, 10 years ago? That was like the way to hustle your tracks. Like that was the way that I was getting label attention and stuff. Was literally I was hit, going to radio stations. I was going to every bar and club. I couldn't even go to the clubs. I wasn't even 21 yet. You know what I mean? Like I was just getting in. Like, yo, who DJs here? Okay, boom, boom, boom. Chopping it up and, and really pushing tracks through DJs. It was so big back then. I feel like it's kind of dropped off. Uh, like, it's the evolution of technology and the, the the overall rise of the internet and the different streaming sites. And I mean, you look at it back 10 years ago, people were still buying physical copies of stuff. People were still, right, that's a fact. you know, downloading tracks from iTunes. People were music buying store. them from, do- yeah, you, there was like no now, subscription. Yeah. Now it's, oh, let me catch that on Spotify. Let me catch that on Apple Music. And then the, at least from my understanding, the overall royalties for the artist are down way over oh, there. I think there was, a, there was a lawsuit with Spotify and Peter Frampton, great classic rock guitarist. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said that I think his track was streamed like... Somewhat, something crazy, like five or ten thousand times, and he got like thirty some cents or something like that. Wow, yeah, he definitely got ripped off, but that can be misleading. Not to say that you know, absolutely, it's I, not crap money. It is, it is, it can be crappy money, but also that can be misleading because you don't know how much of the song he owned. Like you, you don't know what. Correct. Like I said, I, this is not my uh, area of expertise. It's definitely right. way more, way more uh, your area in the. In well, the yeah. I mean, like, I see it all the time. You know, where people are kind of like, oh, I'm not making money for this, or I'm not making money for that, and it's kind of like, well, how much of it do you own? It, do you own, or do you have like two points? <laughs> you, you have two points. Very true. Well, it's going to be really hard for you to make money off of that, and if you took two points, and maybe the initial reason in the first place was not to make money. It was to be a part of something that you felt like was going to be big or, you know, that you were proud of. And now that it's making money, you've forgotten that you're proud of mm-hmm. the fact that, you know, like, it's, a, it's a change of mentality. There. Yeah. It's like, oh, wait, there's money, though. I mean, is it like that for DJing sometimes? Is it like like do you think that there is I guess let me just ask a question I want to ask. All right. What is the most lucrative circuit in the DJ scene? Like, is it weddings? Is it corporate events? As far events? as profitability? It, yeah. Private to weddings. Weddings being in the forefront. Nightclub work is... we. So we have this Delaware DJs group, and we get together not so much anymore as much as we used to, but we used to meet, like, once a month. And all those guys always busted my chops every time because they were all pr- private event and wedding guys. And I'm like, you're a full-time nightclub DJ? Yeah, like like that's that's what I like to do. Like, I would prefer to make less money and be in a bar or club than to play a private or wedding. Now, don't get me wrong. I love privates and weddings too, and I'll take as many of them as as will come my way. But I, I've got a special place in my heart for this nightlife scene, right? And and the uh, the energy and the vibe for it. And it's hard because with this company, and I guess back to when I started at Firestone, it went from being a hobby or something I did on the side to then becoming a business. 
And then there's a lot of other things that go into that. Like, uh, I think one of the biggest problems with new and up and coming DJs and maybe even artists in like the cover scene and whatnot is knowing your value and knowing your worth. So many people will come in and let's say, I'm going to make up some numbers here. Let's say that the going rate for a Friday or Saturday at a bar is like 300 bucks or something. Mm -hmm. And me and all the veterans and everyone that's kind of like been around for a while, we're all getting 300 bucks. And then you, Kevin, come in as a brand new DJ that doesn't have any experience and be like, man, like, I want to play that place. Yo, I'll do it for 150. Right. And then that brings the overall pricing down for the entire industry mm -hmm. because now the other guys are not getting the 300. Now that bar is only going to pay a maximum of, let's say, 200 because people have been doing it for less and the pricing is getting driven down and it's like completely destroying the value of the service that's being provided and everything that goes into it. A lot of people think that DJing is, you know, just playing some songs and stuff like that, but you've got the practice at home, you've got the hours every week that you're downloading music and searching for what's new and what's not. You've got the thousands and tens of thousands of dollars invested in your equipment. And on, an, on an average night, I have probably five grand in gear with me on, on a small night, right. not even a big night. So. There's people that come in and, and are like, all right, let's do it for $150 or, or something very on that low end or destroying it and diminishing the overall quality of the industry. And it's a lot of the people that were making a lot of money in the nightlife scene are making a lot less, less now. now. Hmm. That makes sense. Uh, it, I know it's happened in the, in the cover band scene too, where, where like that's still kind of the same sentiment. Mm -hmm. Um I don't know. I personally have mixed feelings about it. You know, like I think it's good f to some degree and it's bad for another degree. I think it, it's it's good because it forces you to have to be. There are some people overcharging for what they deliver. Correct. And so it cuts that person out. The person who can still charge, like who actually brings real value, they can still charge whatever they want to charge. Like, when, especially when you're when it's clear i think where it gets muddy is where like the difference isn't so great and you literally have somebody that's just like because you work another job that pays you like 80k a year or whatever like that and you can still dj out three nights a week or something you have the luxury of being like well not only am i good at djing but i also don't need to be doing this and i just want to be in the rooms and because I just want to be in the rooms, I can undercut everyone else. That's when it sucks. Yeah, it's absolutely. Like, oh, man. I mean, I've seen rooms where people have came in and undercut, and I've seen them give them a shot. And usually uh, me or, or one of my other colleagues that have been in the industry a while will get a call back from that venue at some point and be like, hey, like, sorry. Working. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, we, I, I've got um, venues in the in the area that, they have a house guy, but there's times when they need fill-ins or he can't be there or it's a special holiday and there's a loop going on and they need, you know, three rooms of entertainment or whatever. And we get those calls for every single one because they know that we're going to show up, that we're going to deliver the same product every time mm -hmm. and that it's, it's going to be consistent because at the end of the day, you're selling yourself and you are a product just like a bottle of water at 7-Eleven or a speaker from a music store. You're a product that's supposed to do a job and do it the same, not necessarily the same way, but a consistently good right. way every time. Yeah. And a lot of people don't think of it that way. They don't think that that's what you're selling is, is yourself and, and your brand and what you can do. And uh, you have to have that brand strong and in, in, right. the, in the forefront. And they like forgot why they like McDonald's. Yeah, because no matter which one you go to, a double cheeseburger tastes like a double cheeseburger. Absolutely. Like you know, like there's just there's no difference in quality, and and that's what you're saying It's just kind of like yeah, well your quality needs to be like can't and be oh it was it was great this one I, night. I, no, I, I know that, that I can send myself or any of my four guys and that they're going to get a great performance that's going to fit their event, no matter what the event is. Right. Except the Latin event. I have one guy that I said specifically. Is, but <laughs> is that Biz? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, absolutely like, yeah. Biz. <laughs> that, that is his, uh, that is is his territory right there. there. Yeah. And he rocks it every time. Yeah, Biz is the man. He's the man. He, came, he actually came uh, last year. I was doing a presentation at Brandywine High School. He came in. 
I think I saw that. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I'll probably ask you. I think I was booked. Booked or you were booked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I was I was looking out. No, <laughs> but yeah, it was great. It was great that he was able to, to slide through, and uh, the kids loved him. That's what really put me on, even too that that was a whole area that I was missing even then because so many kids were like, "Yo, can I get business info?" Like, "Hey, can I?" Because they were interested in DJing. You know, like I'm on stage talking about like music and licensing and blah blah, blah and being a singer and a songwriter, and that's like, yeah, that's cool. But there are kids there who are like, yeah, but like I love music and I love performing music. I just don't want to be playing the piano or playing the guitar. I want to be turning tracks. You know, it's like, yeah, we should we should be doing that. I don't understand why that's not even a thing. Like why in music class in school, why you can't DJ. There is a program at Dell Tech that Dave Amaze runs that is a DJ course and it's six to eight weeks out of the year or something like that and it's through the Dell Tech uh, elective program and Dave runs that. Word. Um, he, he's been doing it as long as I can remember. I meant to ask about that because he, he glossed over it so quickly when we were talking. He was just kind of like, oh yeah, in the course and then we kind of like skipped over it. But that's really good information to know. So I will try to post a link to that information as well. Just like any kind of DJ coursework or like yeah, that's mean, cool. Uh, you, someone can teach you how to do it a million times, but you got to put your own spin on it on top of that. Just mm-hmm. like with playing piano or playing guitar, there's a method and there's a theory behind it and everything that goes into it. But what makes you great at something is putting your own spin and your own creativity on there rather than just doing the status quo of what was yeah. what was taught. Take, take what you can absorb from teaching and always put your own spin on it. When I first started DJing, the thing that stuck with me the most, and I... I, I kind of like based my whole DJ career off of this is I want you to hear the songs that you know, but in a way that you've never heard them before. Word. And it's kind of like been my mentality on how I've done a lot of DJ. Yeah. Right. At least for the nightlife portions, it doesn't work too well at weddings. At wet, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can, I can see how that is. But not, bro, I appreciate you coming in taking the time to chop it up. Uh, I know that everybody's going to find incredible value in the things that you had to say. And and definitely, I'm going to put a link to your information because there's an opportunity. You, you th- threw out an opportunity for somebody who is looking to DJ. Maybe they can, Absolutely. can we're, join the company. We're, we're, we're always willing to train, and it can uh, definitely be worked up to a paid position once, uh, once the skills are there and the knowledge is there and the know-how. Dope. I appreciate it, bro. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks. That wraps up another episode of the McCove Mindset Podcast. If you appreciated any of the information in the discussion today, please rate, comment, and subscribe. Every bit of support is appreciated. And I want to continue to bring you content that will enhance your career, your life, and your overall mindset. So again, thank you for listening, and I'll see you soon. I know someone will be someone. It's you, it's you.